I want to invite you to take God's word this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This will be the final sermon in the third chapter. Next week we will go on to chapter 4. But understand that uh, it's just a continuation. The uh, chapters were added at a later point. This is simply the epistle of Paul, or the second epistle of Paul, or the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Instructing Timothy, encouraging Timothy as he continues the great task that is before him. Uh, I want to begin with verse 13, although we're going to be focusing upon verses 16 and 17 this morning as uh, we deal with the subject, the necessity of Scripture. Paul, uh, linking this to the first part of the chapter in verse 13, he says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the implication is here, these are people within the church. You, however, verse 14, as Paul charges Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from a childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Well, as we saw last time, verses 15 through 17 give us one of the clearest statements in the entirety of the Word of God dealing with the subject of Scripture. Scripture bearing witness to itself. I have no problem with that. Uh, There are those that will accuse us of circular reasoning. But as I stated last time, and I will state again this morning, uh, and I'm very careful with this, you know, we, uh, we tend to run around in circles saying, I need more proof. I need more proof that this is the Word of God. I need more evidence that this is the Word of God. But the point is simply this. The very nature of Scripture is it bears witness to itself. The very nature of Scripture is the Spirit whose Word it is confirms it to the heart of His people. Unbelievers deny it. Believers universally receive it. It's interesting in the New Covenant, it says, And they shall no longer every man teach his brother, for we will all know him, from the greatest to the least. How do we know him? Well, the Spirit bears witness. Now, Peter, Jesus says, Who do men say that I am? Well, some men say that you are the prophet, and others say Elijah, and others. And Jesus says, No, no, no. I'm paraphrasing. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, with his boldness, as he often did, Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So understand this clearly. 
for us to say that Scripture bears witness to itself. We don't have to have any problem with that. We don't have to validate it to others. We know, and the Spirit of God testifies, that this is the very Word of God. So what we need to do is boldly, without shame, without fear, to go and announce this Word to the multitudes. And the Spirit of God will then take His own Word and press it upon the individual so that they understand that this is indeed the Word of God, and then He presses it upon them and teaches them that they receive it unto salvation. So there you go. You want evidence that this is the Word of God? Well, read it right here. All Scripture is inspired by God. Well, that's not enough. Really? For God to say that His own Word is inspired is not enough? There's a serious problem there. You're rejecting the very testimony of the Word of God. You are rejecting the testimony of God Himself. You said that's not sufficient. People say, I want more evidence there's a God. Well, no. The, the, The Scripture doesn't begin by giving us evidence of God. It simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't give us evidence that God exists. Creation declares, shouts the existence of God. So there you have it. Is that too simple? You know, there would, there would be those that say, well, you're making presuppositions that are just making it all too simplistic. Well, fine. Call me simplistic. But there are some things that we don't need to argue, and I think this is it. Uh, we simply declare it to be the truth and then go on. All Scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word theonoustos, literally meaning God breathes. It is indeed the, the breath of God. It is the voice of God. The Bible is self-authenticated, self-validating. It is inspired by God. How do I know that? Because it says so. And this is absolute. This is indeed the very Word of God. And I can rest on that. I can trust it. Uh, and, you know, God moved upon, this is last week's sermon, God moved upon the individuals wherein prompting them to write, God acted upon their, their interbeing uh, in harmony with the laws of their inner being, using them as they were, their character, their temperament, their gifts, their talents, their education, their culture, their vocabulary, their style, and on and on. But in doing so, the ultimate result, or the end result is, they wrote precisely the words that God would have them to write. So we believe in what we call the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. Plenary meaning all, entire, So we believe, and then verbal, meaning the words, so we believe that all the words are inspired by God in such a way that they are without error, that they have absolute authority, that they are infallible, and that we can receive it as it is, the very word of God. And it is the means by which God works upon human beings on the earth. Our confession says, chapter 1, 
1689, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 1, under the heading of the Holy Scriptures, simply says this, the Holy Scripture, and it doesn't make it plural, it's implying it's plural, but it's singular because it's referring to the whole. So the Holy Scripture is the only, that's an important word there, it's the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. So in verses 15 through 17, Paul's describing the Bible as not only essential for salvation, but also for their progress in the faith. The same word that God uses to save you is the same word that he will use to mature you in the faith. So this morning, I want to examine this. I want to look at the necessity of Scripture in God's work of redemption. Now, in the, in the 19th and 20th centuries, and I mean, you could go back further than that. The Word of God has always come under attack. It's come under attack from the very beginning. You know, God comes and, and speaks to Adam, makes covenant with Adam, and then Satan comes to Eve, who wasn't the head of her family and should have referred Satan to her husband, but instead she takes the authority. And Satan says, Hath God said? He's calling into question the Word of God. Did he really say? He didn't mean that, did he? He knows that in the day that you eat it, you'll become as gods. Well, he's calling into question the Word of God. Jesus driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the devil comes to him and says, you know, if you're the son of God, take those stones right there and turn them into bread. Prove yourself. All Jesus did was quote the scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. That's it. That's too simple. No, that's our authority. You know, I, I stand before you this morning and I preach the word to you. And the authority does not come from my words, but by virtue of me speaking God's word. And I, I like what the, the Puritans used to say. When the word of God is rightly preached, it is Christ preaching. He's taking his very word and proclaiming it unto us. But in the 19th and 20th centuries, we've seen a steady decline in regard for the Bible. Many today see it as irrelevant, flawed by human writers, uh, having been uh, 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 perverted throughout the years so that what we have today is not the infallible Word of God. But the simple truth is this. It is the infallible Word of God. God has been able to preserve His Word. And the simple truth is that without the Bible, no one can be saved. That's a pretty dogmatic absolute statement. Without the Word of God, no one can be saved. That makes this book of infinite importance, of infinite value. Without the Word of God, no one can be saved. The Holy Spirit takes His own Word 
and opens our hearts to receive it. That's the Holy Spirit's work in our salvation. The Holy Spirit persuades us that the Bible is the truth, and then he convinces us to believe it. And that's the process of our salvation. You know, the, the Puritans again, the Reformers, you know, they said, well, you know, saving faith has three elements. And I've brought these before you many, many times. Uh, they always dealt theologically in Latin. So they said, well, saving faith demands um, um, how, um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, it demands, oh, notitia. There you go. My, my Latin was flying away. It's amazing. I can have something in my mind in my office. Oh, it's, it's easy to retrieve. I stand before you, and it's like my brain becomes mush. There, there are times that I say, I, know, I need to say this, and I've got it in my brain. I'm trying to remember what it is I want to say while I'm saying something else. And then you wonder sometimes why it seems that I've lost my train of thought. Because it's a train that it's old and rusty, it's lacking a caboose, and the engine is almost out of fuel. So bear with me at times. Anyway, the three Latin words, notitia, ascensus, fiducia, simply meaning notitia is knowledge. You've got to know something to be saved. There has to be a knowledge. Where does that knowledge come from? What is that knowledge? It comes from the very word of God. And then the Holy Spirit, but the knowledge itself is not sufficient. You can, you can have all the knowledge. Satan has all the knowledge. You believe there is one God, James says. You believe you do well. But the devils, the demons also believe. And they tremble. They know it's the Word of God. But you've got to have that knowledge. The Spirit of God takes His own Word and brings it before us. And then He convinces us this is the truth. And so we say a census. We, we hear the word, the English word, it means assent. It means to agree with. So the Holy Spirit takes his very word, teaches it to us, and affirms it in our hearts that it is indeed the word of God. Then the third element is fiducia, which it means to trust, to rest upon, to believe in. It means faith. And that's supernatural. Uh, so the, the Holy Spirit takes his word, applies it to our hearts, grants us a comprehension of it, and then affirms that we can indeed trust it, rest upon it unto our salvation. That's saving faith. You take any of those elements away, and it's not saving faith. You take the knowledge away, you take the word of God away, then what are you believing? You know, everyone say, well, I'm just a spiritual people. Oh, spiritual person. I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. <laughs> what are you saying? What does that mean? Well, you've got to have some knowledge. You have, to have, you have to have a knowledge of God and His holiness and His law. The law condemns us and declares us to be guilty. You have to have some knowledge of this. You have to have some, some knowledge of the Son, the second person of the Godhead, both God and man, you have to have some understanding of what he did upon the cross, that upon which you rest, his atoning sacrifice, and some degree of understanding that I rest in his righteousness because I have none. So we believe in justification, in other words, being declared right by faith. 
And that's a work of God. So the Holy Spirit takes his own word and convinces us of its truth. Well, it is important and absolutely essential that we understand the importance of this book. The reformers use the expression sola scriptura, by scripture alone. We, you know, we know the five solas, right? Is this the essence of the reformed faith? Five solas. Uh, it's, uh, 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 here I go blank again. Uh, uh, sola, um, well, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide, through faith alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. And then the fifth, soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And you see the progression. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, God alone gets all the glory. If it becomes our work, which modern man has done, to man be the glory. I exercised my own will. I exercised my own faith. I did my own thing. To me be the glory. If the only difference between the person in hell and the person in heaven is that they did something, then to man be the glory. But the Bible does not allow for that. The Bible insists, demands, that God alone receive all the glory. So let me march us through this real quick. The fact of the necessity of Scripture, first of all, for our salvation, and second of all, for our, what we call, sanctification, or for our maturity in the faith, or as the Scripture says here, verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. First of all, we need to understand that the Scripture is absolutely essential for salvation. Uh, verse 15, Paul tells Timothy, writing to Timothy, that from a childhood you have known the sacred writings, he's referring to the Scriptures, you have known the, the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom, there's that notity again, that knowledge that leads to salvation, through faith, there's the Fiducia, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Well, again, salvation presupposes knowledge, but it's not just any knowledge. We are living in, a, in an age of hyper-knowledge. We really are. With the advent of the Internet, we have a knowledge explosion. We have books untold. You know, nowadays, because of technology, you know, we've, we've advanced a long way from Gutenberg and movable type. You know, now you can, you can uh, publishers do it. They do books on demand. They can print small, small numbers. Now, it used to be they had to do these huge runs in order to make profit. Now they can do small batches. And there are individuals that will self, uh, self-publish because you can, connect, you can connect with a publisher that's willing to print you know, 400 copies, 100 copies, small batches. That's the technology. There are endless books. 
you have your your uh, your iPhone or your iPad or your computer where you have digital books. You know, my my library in my office was built for for years on physical hard copies of books, and I still use them. And there's something tangible that's good. But I've got a lot of digital books now as well, so that no matter where I'm at, I'm, and I do it if I'm if I'm on vacation, if I'm over here, I'm over there. You know, at times I'll just go to a coffee shop to change my my bearings. I can study at home. I can study in my office. As long as I have access to a computer, I've got all of my books, or all the ones I've purchased in the last five, six, seven years. We have knowledge. An explosion of knowledge. Never have we had so many books. Never have we had so many colleges and universities. You can have your mind filled with endless facts and still be no closer to Christ. It's not just knowledge that we need. Paul says in verse 7 of chapter 3 here, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We need a very particular truth. An essential truth, a necessary truth. No amount of earthly knowledge can meet the true need of man. No amount of education can save a man's soul. It has no power to change the human heart. Salvation comes through the Bible, through the proclamation of biblical truth. Romans 10:17. So, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. As you know, I always prefer the King James Version there. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And there is no salvation, there is no faith apart from the word of God. The Holy Spirit takes his word and uses that word to implant faith within the heart. That's his supernatural work. And he uses the word of God as the means of saving faith. And a man can be unlearned without a great deal of mental prowess, yet the Holy Spirit can illuminate his mind to comprehend the Scriptures. To have a knowledge of the Bible is the highest knowledge. Uh, it can make a, an unlearned man more learned than his teachers, uh, the prophet of the Word of God. And this knowledge of the truth is essential to salvation. That's why I, I, I read several verses last week dealing with the, the phrase, the truth, being synonymous with salvation. But just a couple. Second Timothy, I mean, 1 Timothy 2.4 Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the essence of salvation. It demands a knowledge to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is the source of that knowledge? The Word of God. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is, is you know, the, the epistle of Paul to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Every chapter has a theme. It's marvelous. I mean, it, it really is. So, the 15th chapter has the theme of the resurrection. It's really marvelous and fantastic. But 
listen to the way the chapter opens. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, he says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. And by the way, what is the source of the gospel? It's the word of God. You do not know the gospel apart from the word of God. In fact, we could say that the gospel is inseparably tied to the word. In fact, at times it's used in a synonymous fashion. So, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. So, there you go. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching the gospel. They received the gospel. Which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. It's not sufficient just to have the knowledge. It's not sufficient just to have your mind filled with facts. You must assent to it. The Spirit of God must press it upon you. That is, it is indeed the essential truth. And then you must rest upon it. And if you rest upon it, then you will be preserved until the end. We believe in perseverance of the saints. But Paul says, if you don't continue, it's just evidence that you've never received. And that's the problem that we're seeing here in 1 Timothy, the first seven verses. Individuals that have a form of godliness but deny its power. So Paul says, by which also you're saved if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. And Paul always made it clear that this gospel was not something he invented, not something that came from him. It's that which he received. You know, when we do the Lord's Supper, and I read from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he makes it clear, that which I received. Paul is not the source, not the originator. He received this. So he says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see the source of the knowledge. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, you understand that Paul preached the word. The scriptures were his authority. And that which the scripture teaches has absolute truth. The Bible is God's revelation of himself. It reveals his holiness. It reveals his infinite power and wisdom. It, it reveals him and all of his majesty in which he is worthy of all worship and praise. The Bible reveals God's law. And it holds, us, holds it before us as that which is binding upon our heart. And it declares us to be guilty. It, it shows us what we are. It shows us that we are under God's condemnation. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Well, the, the Bible shows us what we are. Romans 3.20 says, For through the law... 
comes the knowledge of sin. Where do you know? What do you know about sin? How do you know sin? How do you know that you've committed sin? How do you know that you're guilty before God? Because the Word of God teaches you. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Where do we have the law? In the Word of God. In fact, read Psalm 119. I'd love to pick it up and read it before you. If you've been here long enough, I preach through it. Every verse says something. It's, it's, it's one of the most amazing books in the Bible. Uh, it, it follows the Hebrew alphabet so that each stanza begins in order with a word of the Hebrew alphabet. And then each verse says something about the Word of God each time using a different word to describe it. Precepts, law, testimonies, thy word hath I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Every verse, all the way to the end. Well, the Word of God indeed testifies to the glory and greatness of God. And it is the revelation of the gospel of Christ. And it describes the nature of Christ, his deity, his humanity. It, it describes why he came. He came to save his people from their sins. It describes going to the cross, what the cross meant, what the purpose of the cross was, what he accomplished on the cross. The word of God teaches us all of this. And it also sets forth the conditions for salvation, faith and repentance. It's quite clear. The Word of God is absolutely essential unto salvation. And it must be imparted to the lost. That's the nature of evangelism. Preach the Word. You know, that, that, that's why the, we'll, we'll see in uh, verse 2 of chapter 4, uh, King James Version, I'll set aside the New American Standard for just a moment. Preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Preach the Word. Not your ideas, not your, your musings, not what you think is good. Preach the Word. That's our authority. And it is profitable. Well... This knowledge in the Word of God must be imparted to the lost. That's God's means unto salvation. And it can occur in different ways. It can come through the, the verbal preaching of the gospel, preaching in the ears of the lost. I love Romans 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they be set, believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And then quoting from Isaiah, Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Preach the word. Or, 1 Corinthians 1.21 For since the wisdom of God, uh, or since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. 
King James Version again, through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. John 5:24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So the word of God must be preached, but it can also be read. Uh, individuals can have a, a copy of the Word of God and read, such as with Augustine, to pick up the Word and read the Word, and God takes His Word and uses it unto His salvation. It can be uh, read directly from the Bible. It can be presented in a book. It can be presented in a gospel tract. But the point is, the Word must be presented for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible is the only source of knowledge unto salvation. It is God's appointed means. You, you all know the parable of the sower, right? It's a, it's a wonderful, sower, uh, wonderful parable. But in this parable, there are various kinds of soil. And, of course, that's testimony to the human heart. There's stony ground and there's, uh, there's uh, uh, thin ground, rocky ground. But the point is, but then there's good ground. And the only difference is it's not the seed. The seed is good. The good seed of the word of God is sown upon the individual. The problem is not with the seed, which is perfect in every way. The problem is with the human heart. And that which is sown upon the good soil bears fruit, some a hundredfold, some some sixty, some thirty. The point is that the seed is necessary. For you will not bear a harvest without the seed. The word of God is essential. And the religious leader comes to Jesus uh, seeking eternal life. And Jesus simply pointed him to the Bible. Now a lawyer stood up, this is Luke 10.25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to have eternal life? To inherit eternal life. Good question. Question that every human being should ask. Question that every human being should have great interest in. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? There you go. Read the Bible. The Bible will give the testimony. Read it. You want to know the way of salvation? Seek his word. Because there is no salvation apart from the word of God. I'll I'll close this section with this statement. Without the Bible, no one can be saved. Those who live in remote parts of the earth that have never heard, they'll die and go to hell. That's why evangelism is, is essential. Those that have tried to say, well, no, people are lost by rejecting Christ. As long as you do not reject Christ, you'll be saved. Well, I'll tell you this, if that were true, the very worst thing we could do is bring the gospel to them. Because if you bring the gospel to them and they reject it, then they're lost. But if they don't reject it, then they're saved. Well, the best thing we can do is just don't bring it to them. That way they won't reject it, 
and thus they'll be saved. See how ludicrous that is. How absolutely ignorant. It just shows an absolute ignorance of the word of God. No, the scripture, the word of God, is absolutely essential to salvation. We must bring them the gospel. And only through the gospel can they be saved. That's why missions and evangelism are absolutely essential. Uh, The word of God is essential for salvation. Well, let me bring us to part two. It's only got two parts, by the way. The word of God is necessary unto salvation, is essential unto salvation, and these verses also teach another essential truth. The word of God is essential for our growth unto Christian maturity. It's essential in the work of God bringing edification to the people of God, in which we have great interest in that. For the sinner who comes to an understanding of their sin, then and only then does the gospel become good news. Because the gospel brings the good news of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Good news. Gospel means good news. But apart from an understanding of your sin and condemnation, the gospel is irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. It isn't good news. But then for those of you who are saved, you have a great interest in growing in the knowledge of Christ. Jesus Christ has become your all in all. He's become your treasure. He's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field by which you went and sold everything else that you had in order to buy that treasure. Because there is nothing more important to you than Jesus. And you want to know more about him. You want to know, how can my life be honoring to him? How can I live my life consistently with biblical truth? That's our interest. And the Word of God is absolutely essential for you to grow in this knowledge. Verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. In other words, there's profit. Profit for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God... By the way, modern translations are trying to make the Bible gender neutral. I wish they wouldn't do that. Just translate the the word of God. Just translate it and then leave it to the exposition to comprehend what these gender specific words mean. So when we say so that the man of God... This, of course, includes ladies. It includes the people of God. When we understand the man of God, we, we know intuitively that this is just not speaking of men. So we don't have to translate it. So that the person of God, so that the people of God, so that the men and women of God. No, we know intuitively what this is talking about. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The same means that God uses to save a sinner is the same means he uses to grow us in the faith. The word of God. Do you have strong faith or weak faith? You can answer that for yourself. You know your heart. Do you have strong faith or weak faith? 
Do you always tremble at every circumstance that arises in life? Or have you come to learn and come to know that you can rest upon God alone in all things? And where does that strong faith come from? What comes through the consistent teaching of the Word of God as it is applied to your heart and you go through the experiences of life? We don't dismiss experience. We go through the experiences of life. We then judge those experiences according to the teachings of Scripture. And through that, our faith continues to grow. Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. And then he says, And your word is truth. So how are we sanctified? How are we built in, in righteousness? How do we grow in the faith? Well, through the truth. And what is the truth? Thy word is truth. So Paul begins by stating that the word of God is profitable to the believer. We, we like things that are profitable. We tend to keep things that are profitable and toss things that are not. We, we live in a throwaway culture. We also live in a hoarding culture, too. We like to keep things that have long since to have profit to us. But we know the things we treasure, the things that are profitable to us. Our families are profitable to us. We love our families. We protect our families. Well, the Word of God is profitable to us. In what way? Well, Paul lists the chief areas of profit. It's profitable for teaching... That is the, the, the truth taught in Scripture. It's profitable for reproof. In other words, the, the word carries the idea of admonition or rebuke for reproof, for correction. This literally means a restoration to uprightness or a right state. You know, picture, if you will, you know, that I, I build a room. And but one of the walls is leaning out, so it's it needs to be corrected. So you know, I I put a jack on it and I begin to jack it up, and maybe someone's holding a level against the wall. And they say, okay, a little more, jack a little more, a little more close, jack. Okay, okay, hold it right there. It's it's plumb. It it doesn't need any more correcting. Well, that's the that's the idea. Our lives need continual correcting, continually, continually having the application of the Word of God bringing us into a rightness with God. The Word of God does that. When, when, uh, you know, when we, we are looking for correction, we need a right measurement. You know, I, I've got a level, but I am concerned whether or not that level, if someone's holding a level against the wall, they say, okay, a little more, a little more. They're, they're watching that bubble come between the two lines, but you want a level that's accurate. Well, what is the standard of perfect accuracy as we measure our life? It's the Word of God. And the Word of God alone, not human traditions, not human ideas, not your own reason, not just saying, well, I think I'm okay. It is the absolute perfect judgment of the Word of God. And then he says, for training in righteousness. It's from the word paideia, which literally means to discipline 
were trained for the purpose of holiness. And that's what the Word, word of God does. It corrects us. It disciplines us. It rebukes us. That's why preaching must encourage the body of Christ, but it must also rebuke the body of Christ. Now, look at verse 2 again of the next chapter. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, when it's popular and when it's not. When it's a good time and when it's not. In season and out of season. Reprove. We know what that means. Rebuke. We know what that means. But exhort. Comfort. With great patience and instruction. Well, verse 17 provides the key to the passage. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word for adequate, it's another one of those words. And there's several of those words in this passage that we refer to as hapax legomena. And it just means it's, it's the only time it's found in the New Testament. It makes translation a little more difficult because it's not frequently used and you can't allow one portion of Scripture to help you to interpret another. It's the only time. So it does make it more difficult, but it doesn't make it impossible because all of Scripture will always be consistent with biblical theology. So that the man of God might be complete, which is the... the uh, the um, the way the New King James translates it, complete. I, again, the, the King James Version is very strong here. It says, so the, the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to arrive at perfection, but it does mean that we understand that this is the measure this is the tool of instruction. And if we want to be corrected to where we are in the right place so that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, it is the Word of God by which this will take place. It is the, again, our confession, it is the only rule of faith and practice. So the... 1689 Confession again of the Holy Scriptures. Quote, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving faith and obedience. The only rule. Not church tradition. Not the Book of Mormon. Not the writings of the Watchtower Society not the Koran, not the special revelations of the Charismatics, but the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And the Confession says it well. It is the infallible rule of faith that is coming to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and practice. Doctrine leads to right practice so that you might be adequately equipped for every good word. False religions, listen, false religions ultimately expose themselves in their view of Scripture. Every time. False religions. If you know, a, a religion that says, well, the Word of God is okay, but we rely very heavily upon church tradition, that's wrong. 
And, and you know, as soon as you take the pulpit and move it off to the side because the word of God ceases to have centrality, that's wrong. As soon as you say, well, the word of God is good and we, sit, we put it alongside the Book of Mormon, that's wrong. When you say, well, the word of God is fine, but you can't adequately understand it without our other writings, the Watchtower Society, that's wrong. Or to throw it out completely and say, no, you must follow the teachings of the Koran, that's wrong. So false religions expose themselves in their understanding of the word of God. Christians sometimes expose themselves to professing Christians. That's been a problem for many years. The higher criticism, the the failure to receive the word of God as being inerrant and infallible, they expose themselves. Unbelievers expose themselves in their view of the Bible. Remember, I said a moment ago, all we have to do is take the word of God and preach it and teach it. It validates itself. And lost people expose themselves in their rejection of this truth. Listen to what Peter says. 2 Peter 3.15. Fascinating passage. He says, Just as our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given him, he wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things, Hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. They're merely demonstrating by the rejection of the word of God, as they do the other scriptures, Peter writes, unto their own destruction. They expose themselves. They will not hear the word of God. In fact, listen again. Preach the word. Verse 2 of chapter 4. I know I'm getting a little ahead. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't receive it. They will not declare it to be the truth. No, what do they want? They want to have their ears tickled with other doctrines. Accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside unto myths. Well, they expose themselves. They reject the truth of the word of God. Children's Catechism says, question 14, where, so simple, where do we learn how to love and obey God? Very simple. In the Bible, there's that word again, alone. In the Bible, alone. The Bible alone is our standard for living It is profitable for doctrine, for instruction in theological truth. Biblical doctrine affects how we live, how we walk, what we do, the decisions we make, the way we look at the world. It provides the basis of our understanding about God. It provides the rule or parameter for our life. The godless cannot endure sound doctrine. And they will not endure sound doctrine. But that's not us. One of our seven distinctives is sound doctrine. And that's just not a a statement that we drew out of the air that has no reality or no, no basis of importance. We believe in sound doctrine. We believe in the importance of the word of God. 
For it instructs us, it controls us, it guides us, and it gives us a proper view of the world around us. The absence of biblical knowledge creates spiritual weakness every time. Let me say it again. The absence of biblical knowledge creates spiritual weakness. Take the scripture away from the believer and you'll find that believer every time growing more and more and more spiritually immature, spiritually weak, weak in faith, weak in knowledge, weak in, in testimony, weak. And it hinders his life, it, it hinders the life of his, his or her family, hinders the life of the church, those that, that do not embrace and do not fill their lives with the word of God. Enlisting the Christian spiritual armor, Paul simply says this, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. You know what that means. You know, as you put on the whole Christian armor, and the, the soldier, as he begins to put on his armor, and of course, it, it doesn't put it in any particular order, the you know, helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, but having your loins girt about with truth. And what the, what the soldier would do, you, you know the, the Roman dress, and it's almost like a dress, and they would take it and wrap it around, around their waist so it would not hinder. So they would, uh, they would gird up their loins so that they might, might march forth in battle. Gird up your loins with truth that you might march forth. And then you have your mighty sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. God's Word is unchanging. It is absolute. And it must be obeyed. Let me, let me close with one more passage. Not even in the New Testament. Because the Word of God is from Genesis to Revelation. So, Moses is dead. God has buried Moses. Moses is in the grave. And Joshua, who was Moses' servant, has now risen to the position of leadership in Israel. How is he going to lead these people? This great people, over a million strong, how in the world is he going to lead so great a people? Well, here's his marching orders. Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. The biblical model of success is not how much money you have. The biblical model of success is how you become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. You want to be successful in life? Have continual intake of the word of God. That, that the spirit of God might take his very word and use it in the great work that he's begun in you. That you might have good success. And then it goes on. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. That was true in the life of Joshua, true in your life as well. Problem is, Joshua heard it. He was a man of God. He was one of the twelve spies, remember. He heard it. He received it. I want to be a godly leader. I want to lead my people well. And he did. But the people did not hear. And they did not heed. Until finally his farewell sermon, almost out of frustration. You can imagine this godly man leading this stiff-necked people. Moses went through the same thing. He finally stands before them and he says, All right, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of the Amorites or... And then he says, But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know what happened next? Religious people say religious things. They say, Oh, no! But we will follow the Lord God. We will serve Him. And Joshua says, uh-uh. No, you will not. Because He's a holy God. Don't pretend that you want to follow Him when you are not interested in holiness. He is a holy God. One of our other seven distinctives is what? Personal holiness. Because that's what we are. That's what we strive for. That's what we want. And so, you know, biblical word or Christ-centered, biblical worship, expository preaching, sound doctrine, personal holiness, um, uh, um, commitment to evangelism. I'm not. I'm out of order now. Loving community. It's what we are. It's what we do. May God grant us to take his word and continue to apply it to our hearts. Just as faith for salvation comes by hearing the word of God, faith for living also comes through the word of God. That's why, you know, as I preach Sunday after Sunday, most of the congregation, not all, and, and, and I don't pretend to know every human heart, but I'm preaching to both believers and unbelievers. And I continue to take God's word and press it upon all that the man of God, the woman of God, the Christian might be encouraged and strengthened and edified, rebuked, corrected. Sometimes you might think it quite hard. Why does he say such hard things? Because it's the nature of the word of God. Rightly applying the word of God. And sometimes it's hard. That's why Jesus stood up and said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! Oh, that's kind of an unkind thing to say. You might offend them. Don't be so harsh. And that's what they would do in his day. Well, sometimes the word of God is harsh, but sometimes it's gentle. And we do both. And hopefully at the same time for one who has not embraced the gospel or perhaps part of the church but never having embraced the gospel, we do that at the same time. A, a balanced preaching of the Word of God. That's what we do. And that's where our confidence is in the Word of God. I, I really don't have to try to convince you that this is the Word of God. It does so itself. 
Either you will hear God who says, this is my word. You know, thus saith the Lord is over and over in the scripture that he has inspired this book. That is enough. And if you deny that, then your problem is with God, not with this book. So I simply proclaim it as it is. It is the very word of God. Believe it unto life. Reject it unto your own condemnation. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the veracity of your word, the authority of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture. Uh, Father, we tremble as we hear the words thunder forth as thus saith the Lord. Father, help us to receive it, to rest upon it, to believe it, to be conformed to it, even when it rebukes us, even when it condemns us, even when it shames us in our sin. Father, help us to be willing to be conformed to it. It's the measurement, it's the plumb line, it's the standard by which we will be judged. So, Father, I pray that you would conform our lives more and more to your word. Thank you, O God, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.